This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. Hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we look at the value proposition of hosting the Olympics and the World Cup. In 2008, the people of China and the Chinese Olympic Committee put on perhaps the greatest show and celebration of sport we've ever seen as the country hosted the Summer Olympics. Just days later, Russia invaded its neighboring Georgia. Fast forward more than 13 years, China hosted the Olympics again. This time for the Winter Olympics, instead of a profound celebration, China rolled out a dystopian backdrop that created a dirtier view of the country and its infrastructure, a stark comparison to its amazing display in 2008. And again, Russia displayed acts of war by invading another sovereign country, this time Ukraine, under the blanket of national pride and distraction provided by the Olympics. Now as the Qatar World Cup reaches its apex, we reflect on the death of migrant workers laboring to quickly assemble the stadiums in Qatar and the tiny country and the fraud that brought the event there in the first place. With the economic pressures of building adequate facilities and the eyes of the world upon you, countries can risk global criticism or garner national acclaim. So who do you think should host? Is it worth it? And welcome to episode 51 of Game Theory Podcast, about competition strategy and decision making. I'm Nick Andrews and Chris, player three, uh, I hope that they're doing better financially than us. It's, it is that time of year where I forget how many airline tickets I've booked. I like to kid myself that I'm defeated by my own generosity around this time of year. <laughs> but I think we can be honest, I'm just irresponsible and I cannot stop myself from buying like five or six bags at a time of those Ghirardelli chocolate squares. You know, dark chocolate ones filled with sea salt caramel. Or mm, no, yeah. Peppermint. Or, so yeah. those, this is, this is a hot debate. We'll just start a fight right now. Those, the ones with the peppermint, or the lint truffles. Okay. that. It, so this isn't going to start a fight. This is just going to start like an internal struggle that I'll never get out of. Because I'll tell you what. I don't know if it's like the different textures or I don't know what the magic ingredients are in the lint truffles but uh, I would get down a whole bag of those bag. in one sitting and yeah. not feel bad about it they are them in the sweet tart ropes lead my life in. <laughs> those are so good those two things those, that's that's like that's like oh yes uh, I'm well, a big fan of no, 20 no, no. year McClellan and uh, Jack anniversary edition Jack is great you taught me that recently Jack is great first of all secondly and Jack is great. Jack, Jack is great as a grown-up drinking. You can be sophisticated. It's somehow like like more masculine and smart. Like just give me just give me Jack on the rocks. It's fine. But regardless, what I was gonna say was that the Lindor truffles and the sweet tart ropes lead my life in items that while I'm eating it, I check the calories. I consistently like this can't be this few calories, but like then you do the math in your head. If I eat the whole bag that's only nine hundred, that's not that bad. Well, yeah, it's like worse. how quickly can you? Uh, well, how long does it take you into the process of eating one of those bags to justify all the calories? Like, yeah, you know, it's probably fine. It's only triple digits. Yeah, and speaking of things that'll ruin your country's uh, well-being for decades, this episode today is about is about uh, <laughs> is about hosting the Olympics and hosting the World Cup and the dirtiness behind it, and then also whether or not it's a good idea or if it's a bad idea. And like, you know, Salt Lake City got screwed, and Qatar and Russia. We're going to get into all of that. It's going to be exciting. But also next week on episode 52, depending on when you're listening to this, we're going to teach you 
how to win Christmas. I don't know exactly what that means yet. We're, we're still kind of putting, make sure, putting the finishing touches on that episode, but I do want to put in parentheses that we will also teach you how to win dreidel because Hanukkah and Christmas are overlapping this year. Again, for this like second or third time, about the last five, 10 years, I think. Yeah, a, a dreidel is literally the only other thing that I know about Hanukkah other than like the menorah. I guess mm-hmm. latkes, latkes involved there. Correct. Uh, a lot of symbols on dreidels yep. that I, Four, I don't know what actually. they mean, but Four. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a it good is. Time. So we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about that, and I'm I'm very excited about that future episode. I don't know how to win Christmas, but I feel like it's gonna come down to like a Elmo's Christmas, like late '90s, 2000s vibe where. Correct. Yep. You just got to recognize how special it is. It, exactly. And we're also going to do a year in review. I think we're going to give out some game theory awards. We started the year with that emergency episode about football. And then, of course, you had the, this is the year of cheating. So we're probably going to do a big cheating review. People just cannot stop cheating and shit. And worse than they that, can't they can't it. stop getting caught. It's crazy. It's, it's wild to me. Like the preponderance of cameras, the preponderance of online tracking and stuff. Okay. So that creates more visibility in the scenarios. But my God, like people just cannot stop doing the wrong thing in full view of everybody who's watching. I know it's it is crazy. I mean, we, we've seen some examples. I don't know. If, I don't know if we'll get into this at any point, but have you seen those videos of like obvious cheating in like high school football? Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a video a couple those. of weeks ago of a ref, like obviously moving the chains mid measurement. The yes. There's a terrible, terrible call last weekend. That's like a, the player was fully a yard short of the end zone and a referee called it a touchdown. It's like, man, that, that y- y- you know, you should never, attribute to malice what could be attributed to incompetence and this is high school but this is a state championship <laughs> yeah, game man I mean, yeah, they take their football seriously in the south so i gotta wonder what was going through this guy's mind so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that we got yes. some fun exciting end of the year game theory type stuff it's a it'll be a nice refreshing change for, for those of you who have been watching the world cup we'll actually provide you with some entertaining content yeah. to oh, close wow. out the year shot, you can more enjoy yourselves that, uh, more shots at footy there. I uh, was in a bar watching England-France, which was cool. Morocco is making the finals a big deal for, for Muslim-majority countries and, and for African countries, even though Morocco is like as close as you can possibly be to being a European country without being a European country. It's like nine miles, I think. Yeah, Google Morocco colonial history real quick, mm. and you'll see that that particular narrative has... Uh, well, it's, it's a fun one. You know, they, can, uh, yeah, well, they speak, get, get a rise out of people. They speak French there mostly, I think. So, I don't know what they speak there. They're, they're, they're playing France uh, today or tomorrow or whenever this episode drops. I don't know, but let's because let's talk about how to get the Olympics and uh, the World Cup to your home country. So, I'm going to start this off by saying my introduction into the see the underbelly of this was when we were we lads. Salt Lake City, which was essentially our home city. It's like well, we lived in the, a town outside of town, outside of town, outside of state, outside of prison, away from Salt Lake City. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's, it feels gross to say that, having yeah. grown up in a vastly superior state, but it is the closest city to us. Mm. And I, I, I like Salt Lake City. I don't care what anybody yeah, says. Same. I would move there in a heartbeat. Same. And, if and, uh, other life circumstances allowed. In 2002, they hosted the Winter Olympics. It came out after they hosted the Winter Olympics that the way that they got the Winter Olympics was kind of shady. And I believe what they did was kind of, they did some insider baseball. I think it was Salt Lake City reporters. Uh, in, in April of 1998, a, a board attempted to safeguard its aura of secrecy by amending its bylaws. So essentially they did like insider baseball for the amount of the bid. And then they got caught covering it up. And so it was a whole thing. They got it. They're like, you're going to still have the Olympics because you're building all the ship, but you'll never have it again which was like, in hindsight, um, 
in the last 20 years, they were got to be the chillest offenders of all of the offenders of things on all our, on yeah, our list. Yeah, except for, I mean, the only other place I can think of that has, that, that's like less reproachable is probably like, I don't know, Torino, yeah. Italy. Well, they Athens hosted, hosted the Summer Olympics and that's where they started. So they shouldn't have to bid. They should just be like, okay, we're ready. And like, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I feel like Athens should have. They, they kind of owe it to the rest of the world to just like maintain that infrestructure I all agree. the time. I, 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 I don't know if a lot of people know this, and I, and I didn't realize this until like like you said when we were kids, we kind of heard about this. Like, oh my god, there's a lot that goes into the Olympics. I, I, when I was growing up, I thought it was like some magical committee that's like we believe in world unity and sport. And we have designated the next best place to host the Olympics. And it'll be this magical affair. And the summer athletes can all coalesce around competition and togetherness. And in the winter, we can warm our hearts as we watch the fire of competition. I don't know. I thought it was, I, I totally bought into it. The marketing worked on me as a child. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, didn't, I didn't realize just how much is involved in the process of actually securing a bid to host the Olympics. I mean, they have to do this kind of planning years in advance, like you said, to build out the infrastructure that's necessary, not just to like do the competitive events, but also to like host people in a place. I mean, not every city that has hosted the Olympics is very big. Uh, right, some places right. are like kind of small, like mountainous villages, especially in, in the winter Olympics. And so they don't have like the hotels or the transit or the dining options necessary to host the Olympian, the Olympians and, and all the fans that are going to flock to see the events. So there's a lot that's, that's involved there. And I think a lot of people, Every, you know, obviously people ask the question more and more as you get closer to when the actual Olympics are going to be, but I think it's become a little bit more uh, salient in popular imagination in recent years, most notably with, with Tokyo 2020 slash 2021, but as, with, uh, with the World Cup as well. I mean, people should be asking the question, like, how much does this cost the city that's actually going to mm -hmm. host the event, the country that's going to host the events, and is that cost worth it i mean is is this something that countries should actually try to continue to do or is it better to say like no nah, no nah, actually we're okay with not hosting this yeah and i think part of this is is so we should differentiate the world cup and the olympics they have a lot of things in common and when we talk about the world cup we're talking about the men's world cup we can talk about the women's world cup but the women's world cup is a little bit different because it doesn't hold the same prestige as the the men's world cup does and that doesn't mean it's that's not because it's any less important. The reason that's it's, it's true because of a systematic bias against women's sports. I mean, that and just there's just less interest, and there's like le there's major equality issues. Like you know, the foreign countries that compete against men in like other Olympic games well, and, do, yeah. and and soccer do not have the same level of equality and don't afford the same level of resources to to women who would play the same sport. So Correct. there are some like actual national level systematic biases built in as well that make it less competitive and I think less um, well and there's, there's less demand for it. There's another thing the that's that, so that's part of it. The other the other reason is that unlike in in men's soccer or football, um, the men are not allowed to within a calendar year uh, compete internationally as an amateur, which is the Olympics kind of technically are, and as a professional. So you make money for FIFA. So what I'm saying is that like Neymar and uh, well, Neymar famously did shirk his FIFA responsibilities to compete for his country because they hosted it. But most men, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Leo Messi, all those those guys would not. So that means the Olympics are much closer to like college all star teams, where in, in women's professional soccer that it's both. So the Olympics are a bit more prestigious, or they're fighting for prestige. Which in my, I mean, you can make a game theory argument that I think that's holding back the prestige of the World Cup. It's my opinion. Um, but that's part of it too. So you can get the same tournament in women's soccer 
at the at the Olympics as part of the Olympics, but I, I mean, you know, that is what it is. So, so we're, we're we're excluding that from this conversation. Women's soccer is going to be grouped in with the uh, the Olympic conversation. Okay, so one thing that bums me out is that the cities and the countries that host these events. I think are never selected because they'd be good at it. They bid on it. And then you look at it and you're like, what the fuck, what are we doing here? For example, I don't understand how the winter Olympics have never been in Denver mm. like that. What are we doing? Yeah, I get, yeah, I get, that's, that, that's a good point. I mean, you got world-class skiing right there, right? You got a hockey fan base. You got a hockey arena. You got facilities. You got a lot of people playing mm-hmm. the game all through, all throughout the front range, really mm-hmm. like, demand for winter. I mean, like if you're going to go do winter sports, like, Hard to find a better place than Denver to get diversity and high quality for and really any of the events airport. that you would want to do. Like unlike Lake Placid, in, there's an international airport right there. It's right there. It's yeah, it's, yeah. Like, like like Lake Placid. I mean, it's not a that's not a huge metropolis. It's not a yeah. big city. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've ever been there. Uh, it's no. it, it's a pretty cool place. I'm sure, or at least it seems like a pretty cool place. Uh, I don't know. People from Buffalo seem to be really. <laughs> fond of it <laughs> yeah but okay so th- that's that's the kind of place where you have to like build out a whole bunch of stuff and so bidding for it really makes a difference it's not like you know some some faultless committee is like oh yes this will be the next best location for the winter like no 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 people put together packages and they say we'll offer x y and z in exchange for hosting the games blah 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 right and i think that this is a, and this will pivot our conversation to the olympics and to the world cup because i think there is a real opportunity for intense racism in these select cities in that like we're just not going to pay attention to African and Latin American and kind of Central and Southeast Asian countries because Europe and, and North America want it. So uh, to counteract that, you give the opportunity to bid into these other countries to prove like what a big deal this will be for the Olympics and the World Cup to go to Brazil and to go to South Africa. However, that opens the door for some pretty intense collusion, which is what happened um, in FIFA. So a really kind of interesting thing for me. And like we'll, we got the, the majority of the conversation now needs to, to turn to Russia with national security interests and then also Brazil with what the fuck are you doing? So both Brazil and Russia hosted both the Olympics and the World Cup within a very short time frame. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, you forget about that. So Russia hosted the World Cup in, what, 2018? Yep. And they hosted the Sochi Olympics in 2014. So that was a a Winter Olympics cycle. Then four years later, they got the World Cup. Right. Uh, Same year as the 2018 Winter Olympics, which I think were in uh, South Korea. Yep. Yep. If, uh, if if memory serves. And That's then correct. Brazil hosted in Rio the Olympics in 2016, I mm-hmm. think. And then when was the World Cup there? I forget. 14. 2014. Okay. Yep. And and that was when uh, that was when Germany went into Brazil and, and obliterated their them, home yes. stadium and beat them like 7-1. to one. Obliterated them. And so Brazil was the first time in the World Cup where they were building stadiums in the middle of nowhere. They wanted to kind of showcase the country. They had a stadium deep in the Amazon that it's, was essentially undrivable for average people for from Sao Paulo to this, this town. I actually forget the name. They built this huge stadium there. It was so hot and shitty in the Amazon for a soccer game, they had to have the mandatory hydration breaks during the game. And soccer does not take breaks. There are no timeouts. It was so shitty to play there. The conditions were so bad that they had to take hydration breaks. My question is, what must it have been like for the locals to build it? Yeah, it must have been just absolutely terrible. I mean, right. you know, I, I'm, I'm not a Brazil guy. I've never been to Brazil, never been to South America. Uh, I, I'm sure it's lovely. Uh, but I'm told, I mean... You can you can do kind of internet research and figure out like Brazil has pretty solidified like strata of economic inequality and like, yeah. they're they're like really stark contrasting pictures between you can see like right where the money 
ends. You'll see like nice neighborhoods with like high rise apartments and all these luxury features like nice sparkling tennis courts and crystal clear pools of like sea blue water right on the coastline. And then just inland from that, you see just a bunch of slums, like basically homes held together with like duct tape and that that kind of fiberglassy plasticky stuff and and it's it's a clear dividing line between like here's the part of brazil that's really nice and we'd like to show off to tourists and mm-hmm. here's the part of brazil that we would just prefer that people don't really think about including the people who live in the town yeah exactly so the, the, they, that was the first time that um and I, I don't know how to, how else to say this but it felt a little racism-y from my colleagues in sports journalism to kind of say the working conditions here are so bad look at brazil can't handle this and like are are, la- are workers being like slave labored to death or can Brazil not handle it? Like, let's report the news here because I, it really started to make me feel uncomfortable when these reports were coming out that like Brazil can't hack. It's like, well, if, if, if this is their effort, then it's fine. If people are dying, then obviously OSHA or whatever theoretical OSHA thing should get involved. And those are two different conversations. And that to me was the first time this, 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 Rubik's Cube was opened in my brain. Like, this is a lot stickier than I originally thought it was. And then the reports start coming out years later. In the, in the gap between the World Cup and, and Rio and the Rio Olympics, um, Brazil, it was shown a light on, like, how much money they lost, which is essentially all of it. The, the World Cup is not a big, was not a big revenue generator for them. But the Rio Olympics, very famously, were one of the first that kind of made money and helped the local economy. So they got their shit together quick. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that the Rio is a city and the Brazil World Cup is in Brazil. Some of those cities are not, that's not what it's for, man. Like, that's not the point of it. Yeah, you can't necessarily extrapolate. I mean, it, it, it's just like anything else. I mean, if, if you think back to like the pandemic times when things were like really serious and there was no vaccine and there was no vaccine in sight and lockdowns this, lockdowns that, it, it was really not appropriate to talk about like a nationwide approach to the health problem because like there are pockets of the country where like pheno- different phenomena happen differently. I mean, conditions in New York City at any given moment and conditions in like, I don't know, Spearfish, South Dakota are not necessarily going to be the same. And so when you try to extrapolate the model of like hosting a major sporting event of global interest. And you have multiple different events across multiple different cities. Like just because in theory, it might work in Rio, just because in theory it might work in Brasilia doesn't mean that it's going to work. In fact, in like the true like rural jungle of the Amazon, like doesn't mean that you can take the resources that you have in one place and just like copy and paste them elsewhere. You really do have to raise a lot of this stuff up from the ground. If you're going to, if you're going to host events successfully. And uh, I, I do think there's something to be said for like localizing events, not just in a country, but in one particular city. I think, I think you get a lot of different <coughs> benefits and, and, and the cost benefit analysis is fundamentally different there. So that's a good point. Yeah. I think, um, so I, I lived in Philly and obviously this, this, um, this podcast or Philly stands. And I, I thought when I lived there and I learned about um, a couple of, pieces of infrastructure that have been there for hundreds of years at the University of Pennsylvania. And I look at like the Jersey shores over there and it's not, you know, the same surfing as is in Hawaii and, and Portugal, but it's pretty good. It's good enough. And I thought, you know, why hasn't this city been approached and why hasn't it, hasn't it bid correctly and what's going on? There's this huge, this boathouse thing that looks beautiful. And uh, the Penn stadium is one of the, it's the only place I've ever been where like people get jazzed to watch track and field events. Like not like, not like the New York city marathon, like they watch <laughs> sprinters and shit. And it's like, it's, it's like an unsanctioned all-star game for like professional track runners. Like I don't know or care about that, but that's pretty cool. So why aren't, aren't, aren't the correct places bidding? Well, it's because 
uh, of money and the people are awarding contracts and contractors to build stuff. And then also this is a topic that was dominating sports this off season with um, the live golf tour, which is an alternative to the PGA. It does really great PR for your country to have these shots on camera and to get very, very, very rich people to travel there and look at things. It is also, that's called sport washing. It's also a great way to drum up enormous national support if you want to do some illegal shit as a dictator. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge national security angle to this. So so the sport washing, really great term. I mean, I, 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 somebody that I used to work with said, uh, once tried to tell me that uh, the Olympics is never about the sports. Like, well, no, it is about the sports sometimes. But yes. you cannot ignore the importance of like the international diplomacy, the international image yeah. kind of angle. And one of, the, one of the things that's like a really common playbook for the dictatorial types for the authoritarian types i mean everybody wants to show off their home everybody wants to show off where they're from and show off how much better they are than everybody else and how nice everything is going to be for everybody Uh, but uh, authoritarians and dictators tend to use that to basically scrub away all the negative aspects of their image and, and kind of redirect the conversation to oh look how wonderfully put together this city is look how well run this country is look how successful they are at sports you can you can look back at the history of like the Soviet Union and see that. I mean, even games as simple as chess. Like chess is an awesome game. It's incredible. But the way that the Soviet Union basically attacked the sport and said like we're going to use this to demonstrate the superiority of like the communist way of life and it's going to play itself out not just in like the dominance of individual players on the board but like our the Soviet dominance of the international chess system and it was like that for all kinds of other sports I mean there's a reason the Soviet Union just got good at basketball there's a reason the Soviet Union dominated the hockey world in international sports for decades really and that's because they use sports as a thing that people can kind of like culturally latch on to and support and that gives dictators and authoritarians I think a sense of like soft power basically like protection so let me hit you with uh, with a quick stat blast here all right so I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm drawing on like my own knowledge of history but I'm also drawing a, a report from the Middle East Institute called the Olympics and Russian invasion uh, speakers in this uh, in, in this include uh, the retired general uh, Philip Breedlove Robert McConnell uh, Gunnar Toll and Yulia Hoha I think. Mm. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, but let me hit you with some with some stats here. Russia's invasion of Georgia. Remember that Russia invaded the country of Georgia in 2008. No when did remembers. they do it? During the Summer Olympics in Beijing. Yep. In the August, uh, the, the the Olympics had opened on August 8th, 2008. The the number eight is like a you know vaguely symbolic of prosperity in traditional Chinese culture, yeah. or at least that's what they marketed it as. The infinity and symbol. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So during the during the number during the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing, Russia invaded a foreign country. Uh, <laughs> then, in 2014, when they hosted the Sochi Winter Olympics, like days after that, Russia invaded Crimea and annexed sovereign territory like their friggin' kingdom in the Middle Ages. Right. So then, analysts were like, "Well, gee whiz, you know, this Vladimir Putin guy." has this history of using major international sporting events to cover up or like to coincide with actual hostile military operations and take sovereign territory. Uh, so when in the late, in the, in the winter of two, 2021 and in the early winter in 2022, a bunch of Russian forces were like amassing at the border of Ukraine and people were wondering, well, what's going to happen? Is anything going to happen at all? 
all yours truly took the courageous <laughs> position that like the day after the Olympics end in Beijing again, Russia's going to invade Ukraine. And wouldn't you know it, like two days after the Olympics ended in Beijing, Russia invaded Ukraine. Yeah. And so like this, this persistent pattern, it's like fool me once, strike one, fool me twice, strike three. Right. And then Vladimir Putin is going to take another swing anyway in 2022. So like sport washing does a lot more than just like bolster the image of a country with a lot of inequality. It does more than just like make people think a really cool city is really cool when actually there are problems under the surface. It can literally be a cover for a sovereign country to attack another and engage in warfare. And uh, that's something to, I, I don't know. I think that's something to keep in mind and something to consider when it's like, oh, well, you know, it's fine that Qatar got the World Cup. It's fine that Russia got the World Cup and the Olympics in such short succession. It's fine that China keeps getting the Olympics. Like, it, it'll all work out. And I just, I don't think that's the case. What's really interesting to me is that, so I, I think from a Russia, I mean, I don't want to push back because I want to further the, the, your, your Russian observations because like, I, I mean, it's not that I observed it also. It's like, it fucking happened. I was there. I read the news. Um, right. It's, it's I, I think that a lot of it has to do with, because you'll notice these are winter Olympics twice. I think for Russia, it has a lot to do with they feel fucking cocky. They're like, this is our time. We're good as shit now. Like, check this out. Look how good we are. It's like Sochi. That's like was also like the biggest doping scandal in the history of ever. They were all doping. There was just complete cheating, all of them. And they didn't win as much as they should have won despite all of the cheating, not to talk shit, but yeah, whatever. So that, I, I think mean, that you, they pound their chest. think they would chest. do a little bit better if they had a built-in advantage, but they just didn't. Yeah, they did a slightly better. Yeah, it was like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, you take two or three of those away, it was still not as good as you'd want to be for the United States with our 37th best athletes playing like alpine skiing or whatever. So they're, they're feeling very cocky, so that's when they do this. So for, for, for Beijing, the 2008 Olympics was a master class in just controlling your population. It was kind of amazing how like their opening ceremonies is something that just straight up is not physically, you can't best it. It was amazing, especially in 2008, for them to pull off yeah. some of that stuff. The it was lighting, really incredible what they did. It was, it was jaw-dropping what happened. However... The 2022 uh, Winter Olympics were a goddamn joke and made China look disgusting. It was the grossest shit I've ever seen on TV. There was a, like one of those uh, ski events was by a, like a nuclear power plant. We're like, what the fuck am I watching? So I want to I want to clarify on that. Was so it, what, I, in whatever past it was, life, I used to do some it? engineering. I don't know that it was a nuclear power plant, but what we saw was like the cooling towers. It has that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not a parabolic shape. It's like a paraboloid, I think. Sure. Where, like, the, the mathematical. Like, anyway, the reason they're built that way is because it's maximally efficient. It's more efficient than just plopping a cylinder down. Like structurally, it's more sound. And all that thing does is spout water into the air because it's cooling some other process cycle and it's using evaporation to draw the heat away regardless it looked absolutely disgusting and it was like disgusting. it was like macabre it was like hilarious just seeing this huge ski jump that was built for one purpose nestled in the middle of this like gray nasty looking oh, kind gross. of industrial sector of beijing like it doesn't snow a lot in Beijing. No. It's not like a wintry place. I mean, the latitude there just does not lend itself to Winter Olympics. And yet, uh, China it, it loves more than anybody, I think, to use international forums and, like, multilateral groups to bolster its image. And they don't really care if it's, like, the UN or, like, 
nuclear arms control or whatever, or if it's God. just sports, they're going to use that multilateral forum to like generate consensus among the fucking Venezuelas and Cubas of the world. Which was, and I mean, so that's what I want to talk about. Like, what if it backfires and the consensus is, holy shit, it sucks. So if anybody's ever watched The Sopranos, the opening credits of The Sopranos where they drive by all of those like gas plants in northern New Jersey. So if you if you ever heard the phrase uh, armpit of America, New Jersey is the mm-hmm. armpit of America, it's not because the state of New Jersey is gross. The armpit of America, if New York City is the head, the armpit of America is this gross, swampy, wasteland cesspool bullshit outside New York. Newark, if you've ever seen it, that's where China had the fucking Olympics. It was disgusting. Yes, it was It was not the snowy paradise and lakeside, uh, I guess, pleasure of Lake Placid. It wasn't the rustic mountain home of Torino. Right. It was a disgusting, large, heavily polluted, one of the worst air quality cities in America on average. Just this nasty industrial mess in the winter that does not conjure up any kind of like any kind of positive imagery. It doesn't make people feel like, Oh yeah, you know, it's winter time and the spirit of competition lives on like, well, no, this is really gross. We're like basically working in an industrial park, pretending that China is like, I don't know, leading the way as we all march together toward unity. It was, it just really, really, it's completely the opposite of what happened in 2008. Right. spectacular show this kind of like coming out party for china like we know who china is now yeah. it's not like this mysterious kind of developing country that spent the last several decades you know getting stronger economically and and becoming like the world's most populous country and like this like kind of sleeping dragon is arising now it's like now this is just a really gross kind of image and uh they're using sport clearly to try to bolster that but man it it, it, it did was, backfire this time. For me, it was strange because I, I think I have a lot of fascination with most white people in America. Like, I would like to go to Europe. The 2008 Olympics, when I was 18 years old, I was about to become 18 years old, was the first time I was like, cause I remember we watched it at our uncle's house in California. I remember thinking like, okay, Forbidden City, I might, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go to China. And I watched 2022 Olympics, like, no, nope, not to Beijing, I won't. No, I'm totally yeah, good go on anyway. that. And somewhere else, well, maybe, and like, perhaps. And, you know, now as we're as we're recording this, the uh, the zero covid policy in China has been reversed like within the last week. They yeah. they took this draconian approach that just like like weeks of quarantine have been required for people going into and out of the country and into and out of different cities and provinces. A, a crazy amount of like you got to scan a barcode to show that you haven't tested positive or had any like second degree contact tracing events and it just crazy crazy stuff because they have a crappy vaccine that doesn't work and it like the the chinese communist party thought oh this will be to our advantage we'll hold people back and we'll we'll demonstrate how much better our way of life is because we didn't accept like the hundreds of thousands of people that died in the west and like the united states because of covid (laughs) and we'll show that our approach is actually better at giving you a good quality of life and like look man I'm not poo-pooing more than a million people killed by COVID, largely due to irresponsible medical policies. I'm not a public health guy, but man, a lot of that was preventable. But China <laughs> took the exact opposite approach. And, and right now, as we speak, they're lifting that because people have been protesting for weeks on rioting. a nationwide scale. Rioting. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and like, look, I mean, anybody out there who's listening who knows anything about China probably knows more about China than I do. But as I understand it, China's a country that has a lot of like history of protests. Like people do protest a lot of times. But the analysis that I've seen from experts is like these protests are different because generally protests are like they're a little bit more limited in scale, but they're also like hyper local. They're based on the policy implementation of like Chinese communist 
officials who are in a province or in a city or in a prefecture or whatever. And the protests are about poor implementation of that policy. Like you should give us better housing or you should be doing more to protect people or you should be doing more to make, I don't know, living more equitable under the system. In this case, the protests are much more widespread. They're a little bit more coordinated, although China has a very, very strong hand on censoring the internet. Like, they actually do censor the internet. It's not this, like, Elon Musk conspiracy bullshit. Like, they really do have people going in and, like, deleting messages that they find. Mm-hmm. And also, the, the protests are about the exercise of government control and overreach. They want the Chinese Communist Party to back off, stop implementing. It's not that the implementation isn't good enough. It's that it's too much. It's not that the party in power isn't making our quality of life better. It's that the party in power is doing too much and needs to stop. So they're like, they're protesting against control in as much as they're protesting against any one policy that the that the CCP has. And so we're in a period of, of, of weird flux. And, you know, after watching the Olympics and following what's been going on with the, with the zero COVID policy, uh, man, China has really done a, a bang up job of bookending this year and a bunch of bullshit. And uh, not, <laughs> not the year, not whatever really, year. Is this the year of the dragon? That would be ironic. Oh, shit. No, I think this was like the year of the monkey or something. Yeah, I don't think it was the year of the dragon, but if it was, holy shit, that would be just too much. That would be not a good I'm, look. I'm looking it up right now, player three. Yeah, let's do it. What zodiac year is it? Oh, it is uh, Chinese year of 2021 is year of the ox. Next year. Oh, this is year of the tiger. It is yeah, not so, the year. So the year of the, of the tiger, tiger was uh, started. Year. Yeah, no, no, no. This was this man. Dead tiger. a hell of a year to the be the year of the tiger. Pie tiger. No, thank you. <laughs> Spoilers. Spoilers. Sorry, you so, seen a red yeah, so, pie. so China, I think this has brought negative attention and discussing this um, regardless. <laughs> well, okay. I, wa- I do want to say, I do want to say, all of our comments about the country of China are directed toward the Chinese Communist Party and its leadership apparatus. They yeah, are not course, directed at any course, Chinese people, course, any no. Chinese Americans. Absolutely we, not. We, First of all. Look, far be it from us to stereotype and generalize. It's the system of government, and specifically the party in power of the Chinese Communist Party that's catching all of our ire. They're responsible for all of this. It's one-party state, so they're going to have to put up with the flack of this terrible, hyper-local podcast. Yeah, for that everyone will really like. Yeah, to, to be nice to China, the best thing that China has ever uh, done to ingratiate itself with me is be super awesome at building bridges because I am like I love bridges more than anything, and some of the coolest like bridge bridges. Guy, huh? I'm a big bridge guy, and some of the coolest bridges in the world are in China, and I know all of them. They're so sick. One of them is like this: the tall. It's not like one of the amazing suspension bridge, but it's tall. Like you fell off it, it's like 400 feet down, but it cut. Uh, time on this one highway down by like three and a half hours. It was it's an amazing feat of engineering, just pr- absolutely preposterous. Anyway, Are we, regardless we, we of gotta, that, we got we got to pause real quick sure. here because I I think I think you owe it to mm. we owe it to player three to talk about your YouTube. We 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 we, we have like Wikipedia? a second podcast or like a second YouTube channel that's just like Nick watches YouTube videos and talks about them. You guys, Nick has some of the weirdest, <laughs> most bizarre, but most interesting and entertaining YouTube video history. I I, I I've he came over recently. We had we had a chance to spend some time with each other. It was really nice to see you. Oh, we you. watched some very very bizarre YouTube channels when we were quite drunk, and I I'm in, in shock at some of the things I saw, like the city of Norilsk, Norilsk. in Russia. <laughs> yeah, that was bizarre. You what's, can't what's stop thinking about Norilsk. There's a six no. to, I think it's like a nine minute documentary on Norilsk, and I went. I have been much deeper than that documentary. Believe me, but there's a nine minute documentary <laughs> well, on the yeah, city you, in you Russia called Norilsk, and nobody knows about Norilsk, and nobody knows about Nyakovnyesk, which is on the border of China. 
Neokovnetsk. Wait, now, which part of the border with China? Because there's like two sections. Mongolia is like the, but it does create two parts of the border between Russia and China. Yes. So I'm looking it up right now. I want to find the video so I can get this right. Um, it's in Siberia. So Siberia. it is. It's on the Kazakhstan. It's by Kazakhstan. Wait, Nick. I, I got. I got to interrupt. I got to interrupt you. So this is a total, total change of it. So as we're recording this, I just got the push notification from the Washington Post that's a reference to a previous episode we did. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried arrested in the Bahamas. <sighs> we're gonna have to Good. revisit that. Yeah, we'll revisit. I, that. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yikes. Wow. Okay. So let's. Let, I, I. I'll pitch you on this. Let's let uh, the reporters report some reports and we will address that in the new year because as we're recording, the fact that that happened is, is something else. That's yeah, a, I can't, I can't believe it. I, normally I wouldn't say, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't like to cut in normally, but it, the, the fact that we've done like an episode and a half on this guy recently, like yeah. the whole FTX scandal, like I, I can't believe that. It's like game theory, man. If yeah. you just, if you listen to the theory. <laughs> pay attention to the theory pay attention uh it'll, subscribe it'll like great review watch us on youtube all that stuff if you do all that it should be fine i meant that in a game theory sense but as i was saying it it was like oh yeah no this both actually things works. Like yeah a it definitely thing for both an things for the podcast so uh yeah china china is great i love china the chinese communist party you are right and like i said beijing beijing olympics 2008 yeah i'm going beijing olympics 2022 I'm like this cannot possibly be your best foot forward which takes us to qatar which is somehow I don't think that Qatar knows how bad it fucked up. I think that everyone's like, it's great. And, Do and Doha looks sick if you're rich as fuck. It looks really sick. But <laughs> yeah, if, if, you, if, if you're wealthy enough to be like on the real housewives of Doha, mm -hmm. it's pretty awesome. So as, as we record this, just in the last 24 hours, it appears as if not one, but two pro-LGBT plus journalists who went there for the World Cup, who shook shit up, uh, have are dead and uh, people in their lives are believe that they have been murdered by Qatar as a way to shut them up. We know that uh, LGBT. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll discuss I, that. I heard about, that. I heard about the journalist, uh, Grant wall. I, yeah, it, so was, I uh, believe there was a journalist from the United Kingdom here. I'll, I'll pull it up right now. Um, that was so. Grant Wall was a thirty-something journalist who was pro. -L, he was a, an LGBTQ. Um, I don't. I don't want to say he was an LGBTQ journalist. He was a sports journalist who was pro LGBTQ rights and kind of went there and shook the tree a little bit and 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 made a lot of you know the fact that the Qatari government was kind of shutting things down and was like, you're not allowed to talk about this. We don't, we don't want people discussing these rights. A lot of the teams had bans supporting um, different things in their countries. One of which simply said love. And they're like, take that shit off right now. So essentially what Qatar did is they told FIFA and a bunch of the other rich people that were involved, like Budweiser, it's going to be fine. We're going to, this is going to be the most chill Qatar is ever going to be. And then like two weeks before they were like, yeah, we lied about all of that. Nothing will happen. This will never be fun. Budweiser, you can't even show your shit. So this says Khalid Al Musam. Uh, he's a Qatari photographer. Wow. Yeah. Oh, um, yep. So uh, he, yeah, it looks as if cause of death unknown. He collapsed. The, the death is chilling because he's not the only person who has died. Popular American soccer journalist passed away over the weekend. It collapsed. So like poison or something. I, I mean, who knows? We'll never, I'm sure the autopsy is not exactly going to be forthcoming, but um, yeah, so it no. looks bad. In addition to that, there's no premarital sex. So there are threats of seven years in prison. Uh, alcohol had to be served in a very specific tent between 6 p.m. and new, and midnight. 
Budweiser was not allowed to serve beer in or around the stadiums, only in these tented off areas. So it made Qatar and Muslim majority kingdoms look incredibly shitty. It made it look, it did not sport wash at all. So what Saudi Arabia is doing is great. What they're doing is if we give these people billions of dollars, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to play golf, you won't talk about us anymore. You'll talk about how stupid this golf league is, which is what right. we've done. It worked out com- completely perfectly. But what Qatar did is invite us in. And then when you invite someone into your house and, they, and it shows just how terribly you treat people and how, how many migrant workers and kind of like indentured servant workers have died building these stadiums, which by the way, stadium 937 has already been torn down and is going to be moved, which I guess that's a feat of engineering brilliance. that I can't quite understand. I'm going to look at it like that. that, Like that one kind of gift that everybody knows. It's like in 1904, the Indiana bell company building was rotated 90 degrees. Have you seen that? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. I know exactly what we're talking about. That is cool. And it is kind of like that. There's a stadium it's called, I was trying to find it. It's like Stadium 930 something, and it, it has already been broken down, and it's going to go, it's on its way to the World Cup in 2030. It will be erected in Uruguay. In Uruguay. So they're going to ship a whole stadium. I think a chance stadium. Yeah. Uruguay. Correct. Which, by the way, I think that we need to talk about the 2020, 30, and the 2026, 2030, 2030. <laughs> like the 2026 six world cup but not before 30. we're not done shitting on guitar so before like, let's no. get into the history of this guitar world cup and how this all came to be and the collusion and the dates all the way back to salt lake city and even before that so it's a very popular documentary on netflix about how corrupt fifa is and this guy sep blatter who has said some remarkably racist and even crazier sexist things about soccer players right. like bananas like uh they would make more money if they had shorter shorts kind of thing i actually think that's pretty close to a direct quote Ooh, well like, not know, that long ago like 2016 you say i think in privacy or your own home guy yeah but not if you're a billionaire so sep blatter <laughs> was the president or the grand premier or the the lord and savior of fifa or whatever you call himself you know what i mean man in charge <laughs> hmfic so he realized that a lot of developing third world countries at the time in the 70s really loved soccer. And so he realized the World Cup can be a way to kind of have this traveling roadshow. He was also a brilliant, brilliant marketer. He understood how to make Coca-Cola involved and Chevrolet sponsored Manchester United. He understood how to eke money out of soccer, which is hard because there aren't any commercials. No, he crushed yeah, it's that very, stuff. very weird. Very different model from, uh, from football. Right, exactly. So a bunch of old white European men, mostly mostly European white guys, kind of ran FIFA for 30, 40, 50 years, and then they started taking kickbacks, and it got a little nasty. The first big, ugly black eye was with the 2010 World Cup, which was in South Africa. It was a huge, huge deal culturally because the World Cup was going to the continent of Africa. I don't think the Olympics have ever been to Africa. Like, that's a huge deal. Uh, yeah. It was a little dirty how they did it, right? So it's a little dirty. Now you start like, yeah. this is eking around a little bit now that they're not quite prepared and the migrant worker thing is it's starting to get a little ugly. So then after that, it goes to Brazil. And then it is, so they award about a couple, like I think six years out so the, the country can prepare. And then they announce another one. Sep is getting old. All his friends are getting old. So what they decide to do is take all of the cash cow from the contracts of, of bidding for the World Cup. They take two bids at once. The, there were finalists to pitch the World Cup, right? Like where it should be. The United Kingdom had the best pitch for the 2018 World Cup to the point where everyone's like, whoa, that's amazing. 
And apparently, the United States' pitch for 2022 was jaw-dropping. We're like, holy shit, this is going to be sweet because we wanted it really bad. Then, in a double announcement, they announced Russia and Qatar, to which everyone in the room responded, you're joking. Right. And Bill Clinton was in there, and there was footage of him reacting to the announcement, and it's like, whoa. Somebody got in through some back door that... We did not perceive during these negotiations. So, uh, but what this is what was really fascinating, and this is this very famous John Oliver about this back when he was in it, kind of like new and it was still trendy and not annoying. Oh my god, <laughs> when it was the first couple, first couple of years was, was pretty fun, it was like a deeper, more fun. No, no, no. Uh, John, John, John Oliver lost get... me when he started talking to me. He's like, Oh, yeah, I've never heard of anyone who wants to say, Oh, let's go hang out in the area around the stadium. Like, you fucking doorknob like, like wrigleyville is a subdivision of chicago specifically because people want to hang out and say i, I don't know it is i've never been a john oliver fan like if there, you're a john yeah. oliver fan just please keep it to yourself i, I can't do a player three. <laughs> well back in the day it was amazing because i don't i think the united states being bad at soccer and not really understanding football terminology and, and like of course we dominate women's side we dominate all women's sports for the most part but we didn't really we're not really part of like the fifa club we kind of mostly just piss people off with like our dabbling fandom However, FIFA fucked over Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton was like, <laughs> okay, this is, we're not the British. We're not the French. We're not just going to take this laying down. So they went over to the CIA and the FBI and the department of justice and be like, look what they did. And the department of justice is like, and hmm. there's so much evidence we could use a win. <laughs> Holy shit. What do shit. we do with all this? Right. So then they just went to, to Switzerland and they're like, Hey, you're indicted now. And they just took them, a bunch of dudes. I think they like had guys, uh, they had them extradited and shit. And all of Europe was like, we never want, you can, you can do whatever you want in soccer for the rest of your lives. We love you so much. This is a corrupt, awful organization. Thank you so much. You guys are the gods. Of, we'll call it soccer for a whole, whole day. We'll call it soccer. Incredible. It's soccer. Yes, it was a whole thing. So in the documentary, they, t- they talk about that. And these old men, they kind of cashed out by awarding it twice. It's just a disgusting display of douchebaggery. And it is just like the cheating thing underestimating who's paying attention to what you can get away with. Because if they hadn't pissed us off, if they had yes. just fucked the British and not fucked the Americans, this would be chill. Yeah, it's true. Right. I mean, like, look, sometimes you got to acknowledge, like, just because you think you got a slick plan, just because you got an inside with somebody who's making decisions, just because you've gotten away with it in the past, doesn't mean that you're not going to be held accountable because some bigger, badder dog is going to come to town and they're going to tear you to pieces. That's exactly right. what happened here. You're going to get caught. You're, when you overreach, you're going to get caught. Yeah, and that's uh, that's exactly what happened. So now I want to kind of talk about the next two World Cups. The next two World Cups are going to be collaborative World Cups, and I can't describe to you how much I'm on board with this because this is gonna be the, awesome. The World Cup has been such a loser for for money and communities like Doha. Doha can handle a World Cup event. Qatar cannot. You know, no. Uruguay no. Uruguay cannot host the World Cup, but Uruguay, Argentina, and Peru can. Yeah, Chile, that, I mean I that's Chile. really really cool. That is you know, incredibly like, cool. You get to talk about like regionalism. You get to transcend borders. And, and you know, I, I don't know if this is like too pie in the sky, but like in a time when nationalism is on the rise and uh, especially like a lot of like really dangerous ideologies and the political right. And uh, it's just, it, it's, it's crazy. So like to see the model that we're going to trot out during the 2026 and 2030 World Cups being based on some kind of like actual unity and actual international collaboration. Uh, I think that's really cool. So uh, we'll, we'll just mention uh, in 2026, North America is hosting 
uh, which yeah. is to say Canada, the United States, and Mexico are jointly hosting the World Cup. Of course, the U.S. being the geographic center and really the driving force behind this bid uh, is, is hosting a, a vast majority. Uh, so I'm just going to run through the cities where you can expect uh, the World Cup action to come to you in 2026. Uh, so in Mexico, there are three locations. There is a stadium in Guadalajara, Estadio Ecran. There's a stadium in Mexico City, of course, Estadio Azteca, very famous. And uh, in Monterey, they'll also be playing games. Uh, then in Canada, they've got two sites, and it's not just East Coast sites. It's Toronto and Vancouver that will be hosting games in Canada. Uh, then the U.S. has 11 cities that are going to host. Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Miami, New York slash New Jersey because it's MetLife Stadium, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and Seattle. So a huge variety of sites all across like the whole continent, not just the United States. I mean, this is this is really like a, a almost like a quarter sphere of the earth is going to be hosting this this World Cup. I just think that's the coolest thing in the world. I mean, you know, depending on how the structure is going to play out, you could potentially be going everywhere from Mexico City to Vancouver to Philadelphia to San Francisco. I mean, just an awesome, awesome lineup of facilities and, and places to potentially see people go play. I'm really excited about it. I don't, and I don't care about soccer. Nick, you've heard me talk about this my entire yeah. life. I don't like soccer. <laughs> I think soccer is the worst thing in the world. But I love America, and I'm excited about getting the chance to host that. You know, I, I, I think when these things are done well, I mean, there's something to be said for when things are done well in unison and, like, pageantry comes yep. to the fore instead of corruption. Yep. And, like, excitement and thrill captivate us instead of, like, scandal and like ooh yeah right. no, I, I mean it would be yeah, so it would i have, feel good to feel good yeah and i i think that there are some other things i kind of want to discuss along with this that are um kind of along the same vein because he's like like we said with qatar they clearly couldn't do it so you look at mexico and canada and no disrespect to mexico and canada they would be a similar situation to qatar where they would right. they're gonna have to build things or kind of overshoot their shot where there are going to be people who can't build this fast enough, there's going to be money lost. With the America has like I want to say a hundred of the 150 largest capacity stadiums in the world. Like it's, we're built, we could do it in in a, in a month's notice. It wouldn't be a problem. Mexico's kind of the same thing. Should like the, Estadio, the SEC could host a better World Cup than Qatar. Qatar. No, no questions that it would be much, much better. But Estadio Azteca should host a World Cup match. No question. Everybody agrees that would be sick. Like that, that stadium needs a World Cup match. Yeah. In my opinion, it is the most intimidating, holy shit stadium in the world. Mexico can't do it without there being a Brazil Qatar situation. So by breaking down the borders and making it a different, you know, and I, I don't know enough about uh, Southeast Asia, which we'll talk about again in a second, or, or, or uh, the, like the Patagonia mountainous Andes part of or Latin America, but I do know enough about North America to say that. While there are three major countries in the North North America, they are all kind of combined regionally. Toronto, Buffalo, and Detroit, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a great, that's the Great Lakes region of the United States. To say the same thing yeah. is like when you go from San Francisco, California to Juarez, the southwestern Rocky Mountains, that's a region. So to have it on the continent yep. is amazing. So I have another one for you. The, there have been multi-bids. That's becoming another thing that's happening now because Portugal... Spain and Ukraine have lobbed onto a bid for they're discussing <laughs> as recently as like a couple months ago, Portugal and Ukraine and Spain are kind of having conversations because Ukraine wants to get involved. So Russia to eat it. But more impressively than that, South Korea, sort of China, parts of like the Chinese Football Federation is kind of flirting around. But South Korea and North Korea are having conversations with FIFA about having the World Cup on whatever... City is on the other side of the border in North Korea, and they are like 
they promised FIFA that the two countries would shore up what, and I can, again, we just had this conversation about Russia. So while we're breaking down barriers in Latin America and breaking Oof. down barriers in the United States, is this a trick or is this like would be one of the most monumentous moments in, in, in geopolitics in a century? Yeah, that would be pretty remarkable. You, you, you do see every once in a while. I want to say at the 2018 South Korea Olympics, uh, I want to say that there was like a display of the Korea unity flag. So there's, you know, of, of course, being different countries, North Korea and South Korea have different flags. But I, I think there was a moment where the players, at, I, I think the opening ceremony, like the competitors from North and South Korea are marched together or like the South Korean athletes have the flag of like Korean unity. And it was, it's, it's, it's kind of like a generic looking flag, but I mean, it's like the whole peninsula displayed on a single banner together, unified, no lines, no divisions, none of that kind of right. stuff. So you love to see that kind of symbolism and like, man, on the one hand, I really want that to be true. I really want that kind of thing to work out. I think that'd be awesome. On the other hand, ugh, yeah, don't know if you can trust that. So the the most the most recent World Cups have been awarded. We're going to the United States, like you mentioned, all those places like Vancouver. Yep. You said Vancouver, right? That'll be fun. Yeah, Vancouver, Toronto, uh, the be Canadian fun. sites, and then uh, all across America, and then uh, Guadalajara, Mexico City, and Monterey. So then the following World Cup is in, I'm just going to call it the Andes. It's going to be Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, Chile. So that's going to be sick. That's going to be uh, awesome. Because that's where football is played. This, the filthiest players come from that part of the world. Those guys can do some sick, sick. That's Leo Messi and, and Suarez and all those guys. Those are sick players. Yeah, then if after that, I mean, Portugal, Spain, and Spain, it's been a while. They deserve one, too. They're, they own La Liga and all of that. But if it, if it goes to Asia, which it kind of never really has, there's no, and it's, it's tough now because the best uh, East Asian player of all time, Hyunmin Sun, is one of, he's my favorite player on my favorite team. He won't be around for that in 14 years. There's just no yeah. way. But yeah, you, it's, can't, it's, you can't have a soccer career that long, man. No, but I, I would just I, I see the moment of like him as a South Korean being like, look at we're all here, and even if China were to, so I, I from what I understand, China is is they're the most apprehensive from what I understand right right now about the huh. bid. But North Korea and South Korea are very much like, yeah, we'll make we'll, we'll make friends of this in China. I, I imagine if if I were the Chinese football federation, I'd be like, ah, we'll wait and see on whatever this mess is. We're not going to declare sides right now. You're probably going to have to make the pitch smaller in North Korea so Kim Jong-un doesn't get exhausted looking from all the way to his right to all the way to his left. Oh, oh shit. That guy's such a turd, man. Yeah. I don't care if I'm... I'm I, I, I'll, I'll torpedo this bid if it means I get to talk smack against that little guy. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, as much as the, 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 the Beijing Winter Olympics were garbage... I would love to see a World Cup match at that fucking stadium. That would be crazy. That'd be that sick. Yeah, what is like the bird's that, oh, nest? The bird's nest is. I don't even know if they do anything there anymore. I don't think they do. Yeah, well, they. they I, how can. How do I, China, just start playing American football. What are we doing? Yeah, dude, yeah. Have the uh, have the Pacific Division be like? Oh no, no, no. We meant the Western Pacific. The the, the Western Pacific. Yeah, well, we yeah, can like have the Pro Bowl and Hawaii Macau. for real now. You just have it in Hawaii. <laughs> I, I mean, truly, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl. Every bowl, every bowl should be in Hawaii, man. I'm sure the Hawaiians would love that. You know what they love is people visiting. Yeah. Well, sweet, sweet tax money, baby. Mm-hmm.